Hi, and welcome to Axel Bank Reports History and Today. Conversations with America's top nonfiction authors and why their books matter right now. I'm Evan Axelbank, and today we're going to speak with Julie Sato, the author of The Plaza, The Secret Life of America's Most Famous Hotel. This is her first book, and she is a real estate reporter for The New York Times. Her work has appeared, of course, in a host of other places. So first of all, thanks so much for being here, Julie. Oh, thanks for having me, Evan. Yeah, this is going to be a really fun discussion. I've never, I haven't done one yet about a building, so this is a first. Uh, okay. Uh, the plaza, just saying it brings to mind all kinds of things. Luxury, Central Park, the beautiful building, Fifth Avenue, the best public bathrooms. <laughs> of course, uh, and you mentioned that in the book. Uh, you, you think of Home Alone 2. Uh, you yep. think of the 45th president. You think of the beautiful carpeting, the buzz of activity in the front, the ring of lights near the top. And I thought of, when I saw the book title, I thought of Elaine Bennis in Seinfeld saying, after oh. getting a free room there, she goes, it's the plaza. <laughs> so, so why do we need a book about a building, Julie? Yeah, I mean, it. Um, we need we need books about buildings. It depends what kind of buildings. I will say. I feel like a, a hotel is its it in own, its own kind of unique sort of building because yes, it is um, it is you know a physical structure and not a person. So it's strange to have a biography about a physical thing like a like a building but a hotel is so unique because it's a place where people come and go where people stay sometimes for months or weeks or days uh you know it's 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 populated with characters um a building like the plaza is so amazing because it's been around for so long i mean it opened in 1907 so it's seen such a um you know it's seen so much over uh, more than you know 10 and decades, right? So, so I felt like this book needed to be told um, because it's such an eyewitness, a sort of social eyewitness to the social history of Manhattan and New York, and and uh, yeah. And uh, one of the <laughs> one of the great things about uh, hotels in general, but especially the Plaza, is that you can like just walk into it, and it's got this big name. But I mean, my grandmother and I would go to FAO Schwartz when that was still open years ago. I'm from New York. Uh, and and we go in there, and then we go into the the public bathrooms that were there, and it was like you can just walk in, and that's I guess what makes it full of content for totally. a to talk about. Right. So exactly. Well, first of all, I knew you would be you were from New York because you knew about the bathrooms. That is definitely <laughs> that was definitely like a New York City kind of open secret that people who lived here knew. If you were shopping in Midtown and you needed a nice bathroom, you always went to the plaza. And it's totally true that it is like it's you know, it's very exclusive, it's very wealthy and elite and you know, all these famous people are there, but anyone can walk in and anyone can sit down in the lobby and listen to music wafting from the palm court and mm. enjoy the ambiance. Um, you know, it is a public institution in many ways. So, um, I, yeah, I, 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 well, go, I, I want to just ask, and this is far afield here, but, um, and you don't even, I don't know if you address this in the book. Are, are the people who own the plaza, are they okay with it being used as a public bathroom? 
<laughs> well, I should say, okay, so the plaza of today is very different than the plaza that we knew growing up in, uh, in New York City. So I would say the plaza that we all remember, you know, those of us who might remember from the 80s or the 70s or the 60s or even the 50s or 40s, um, yes, it was seen as really, a, like I said, a public institution that, um, you know, they knew people went in and used the bathrooms. You don't think the concierge behind right. the desk saw, <laughs> saw what was going on? Sure. Um, today, it's a somewhat different animal because um, the building is mostly condominium. And while there is a small boutique hotel still there, it is sort of siphoned off to the side and you're actually not allowed in unless you are a hotel guest. So there are other areas of the building that are open to you, but it's not. it doesn't have that same kind of welcoming vibe that maybe uh, you're, you're talking about. All right. Well, we're going to get to, to, to some of that. We're going to trace the, a little bit of the history here. Um, your book begins in 1907 at the plaza, um, and that's when this plaza opened its doors. And I had no idea about this. There was actually a first plaza. Uh, mm-hmm. What it's, it's New York has this history of this. It reminds me of like Madison Square Garden, where there's been like three or four Madison Square Gardens. Um, what happened to the first plaza, and why did the one we know uh, today get built? Yeah, so it originally that spot at the corner of you know 59th and 5th Avenue at the sort of bottom of Central Park that was actually a skating pond and um, you know it was like wealthy New Yorkers would go there to skate in the winters and then it was made into um, as you said on top of this pond was basically built the first plaza uh, which was a kind of smaller structure it was only about eight stories it was built it was glamorous and considered like a, a big deal when it first opened Um, But only a few years after it opened, actually, the Waldorf Astoria opened, the original Waldorf Astoria, and that immediately became, you know, the place to go and the most famous hotel in New York. So the first plaza kind of lost some of its luster. And um, it didn't, it, it, at the time, which was like in the 1890s, a lot of buildings were starting to be built very tall. They had these sort of steel um, skeletons that allowed for skyscrapers had been invented. So people were starting to build much taller. And this plaza did not have it. It was sort of, uh, you know, a squat uh, brick building eight stories, kind of traditional. So um, it just was sort of out of favor. So these guys, two two guys bought it and um, they decided to tear it down and build, you know, the building we all know today. And so were they trying to one up the Waldorf Astoria? Was this like a, a, a spite type thing? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) They decided like, we're going to do the Waldorf Astoria, but better. So they actually hired the same architect who did the original Waldorf Astoria. His name was Henry Janeway Hardenberg. They hired him and um, he basically, he designed the plaza. The the original Waldorf was very like detailed and there were lots of filigrees and fancy kind of, it was very ornate. And the plaza that we know is very simple. It's made of white sort of terracotta uh, brick and it has kind of this very clean facade. Clean, yeah, clean. And yeah. So he he meant it sort of like 
like the Waldorf was kind of his practice and then the plaza was his, 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 his masterpiece. Um, and yeah, the idea was that this would be better than the plaza. And it was, they hired away a bunch of people who worked at the Waldorf to come work at the plaza. And it was kind of this big competition between the two hotels. So in 1907, and I got excited as I was reading this, it was like really fast, like really, you know, uh, uh, it was like a festival. It was like really exciting. Um, in 1907, there's this hive of activity as the new plaza is opening and someone with one of the most famous names in American history, uh, Vanderbilt, uh, you write, strides into the hotel, past these onlookers and then signs his name to become uh, the first guest. Uh, yeah. You say though that nothing at the plaza is as it first appeared. So can you describe that day and the feelings that New Yorkers had as this new hotel opened? Yeah. So it was really this excitement, you know, it was kind of like, um, you know, here's this amazing hotel and there was all this, you know, build up and marketing push for this hotel, the new, you know, the better Waldorf Astoria. And um, so they asked Vanderbilt to, they said, look, we want you to be our first ever guest. Okay. Because obviously you're Alfred Gwynne Vanderbilt, you're this dashing millionaire and you're such a famous, you know, wealthy New Yorker. This is really the way we want to start off. So um, they asked, asked him to be the first guest and it was all sort of a marketing ploy it seemed very natural they had called all the journalists though the day before and said come in front of the plaza at 9 a.m you need to wait in front and you're gonna see all these stars so of course all these reporters showed up and you know alfred Gwynne vanderbilt marched into the to the hotel and he signed the registry as the first ever guest as you say and you know all these other famous new yorkers and 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 movie stars and and all kinds of personalities um you know followed him afterwards and it really kind of set the stage for what the plaza would be like it felt organic but it was not it was very planned and um yeah, I also say that at that first day, it was they introduced the first ever New York City taxi cabs in front of the plaza. So that was also part of this marketing. You know, we're going to have taxis, these new motorized taxis, instead of, you know, horse-drawn handsome cabs, which is what most people think of, what most people used to take around at the time. So. And that's the one, I think you wrote that. That is the one place you can still find the horse-drawn uh, carriages. I think, in all exactly. I always find that ironic, you know. Yeah, right. uh, uh, so what does the plaza represent? about America uh, in the early 1900s. And, um, you know, this is the progressive era and Teddy Roosevelt is president and America is asserting itself on the world stage. Um, and, and there are all these questions about what laws should there be to protect people. Um, so one of the things that uh, you say is that it wasn't just society's chief gathering spot. It's the foundation of a powerful real estate empire, the likes of which had never been seen. So how does that fit in with what's happening in America in the early right. 1900s? Totally. So you're right. I, I, the reason why I love this topic, you know, using the plaza is because it's like this perfect lens through which to see these greater trends going on in the country at the time. So the, the man who um, actually built the plaza, he had a partner as well. It was two guys, but the main guy is this guy, Harry Black, who um, he basically was the original Donald Trump. He was like the first ever real estate tycoon. And um, he also built like the flat 
Flatiron Building on 23rd Street, um, hey, uh, Macy's Herald Square. He did all these major buildings and he also built the plaza. And he kind of created this real estate empire and he was this really flashy character. He lived um, in the penthouse on the top floor of the hotel. And, you know, he was kind of this larger than life guy. And he really kind of symbolized this robber baron, um, gilded age kind of era um, in real and, and what was happening in real estate. He also, you know, in the 1910s and as things went on in the early 1920s, he got really into stocks. You know, he became this like huge stock proponent, proponent of stocks. And he even he tried to like sell um, stocks in order to fund his real estate projects, was, which was a totally novel thing to do. Um, so he was kind of symbolic of, of this kind of big business and what was going on at the time in terms of the market and, uh, and New York, you know, and wealth. One of the th reasons I love your book is that you talk about people like that, but the plaza is not only about rich people, but it's also about people who are working class um, yeah. and who are living, you know, lives like, frankly, like most of us do. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and um, one of the great things about it, the, the, the plaza, is that, you know, there it's this kind of clash of civilizations. And there's a labor dispute that you write about where uh, the workers that make the plaza go essentially say, do you really expect us to survive on tips alone? Yep. Um, and that's a very progressive era type thing to have happen. Um, they start to band together with workers at other hotels um, and they actually walk off the job as dinner is being served. So describe this dispute that comes up and how yeah. this relates to what is, is, you know, is everyday life here. Totally. So, you know, I mean, a lot of your listeners might be familiar with like the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire. You know, this was a time when organized labor was just kind of starting to uh, organize, you know, you know, people were realizing that unions were important and they were starting to, to make more of an effort. And so of course this also happened at the plaza um, and, you know, these waiters and the staff were not treated very well. Um, as you say, they were basically paid tips. Um, they were, uh, you know, penalized if they did things like laugh in a, you know, uh, when they were not supposed to, or, or um, have dirty fingernails, you know, they were, they were, had to, had to, you know, their pay was cut. So it was a very unfair, a lot of unfair treatment towards them. So um, they did, they organized and uh, all the hotel workers and restaurant workers in the city, basically a majority of them decided to organize and walk off the job. Uh, they left a bunch of plaza diners, you know, just kind of sitting there with their plates at 7 PM in the mm -hmm. middle of dinner hour. And, and um, it was it was a brutal fight. The hotel owners, including at the plaza, were not, you know, did not want to give in. Um, and eventually it was sort of a, a kind of a draw what happened. They did get some benefit, you know, some changes, but they, the union was not recognized. The hotel union, it wasn't recognized for another, I think, 20 years or something. So, and what happens to the workers? Uh, do they just... Yeah go back to so work was, or well it was tough because so what happened was the, the plaza the manager of the plaza was very smart he was this guy um uh who was sort of had a lot of experience with hotels and he had an idea that this may be happening that his workers were possibly going to strike so he had all actually called down to these hotels down south uh, at the time it was kind of the low season in the south and so uh, all these hotel workers who typically worked in the south and most of them were african-american um, and the plaza
are typically like a lot of hotels in New York uh, had mostly white workers at the time um, from Europe, you know, Irish, Italian immigrants. Um, they call, he, this manager called down and he brought all these African-American uh, hotel workers who were out of work at the time down south up to the plaza and he put them up in the rooms. And when the waiters st struck and they left, he brought all these, <laughs> these, these waiters, these strike breakers down essentially and had them work. Wow. And it was, it, it created, as you can imagine, a lot of uh, tension, but eventually, um, what happened was uh, the the striking workers did not have any funds. You know, they weren't getting paid, so they couldn't really keep the strike up, and they needed their jobs back. And the plaza said, "Sorry, guys, we'll keep the African American workers from down south if you guys want to stay." But most of them did not want to stay and went back to the south, and uh, they rehired a lot of the workers. Boy, what a um, what a, <laughs> what, what, what a, a sort of collision of all kinds of things uh, right? in that. Well, so many forces. Um, so let's transition then to the 30s and 40s. Uh, there's yeah. a change in ownership at the plaza. Um, World War II starts. Um, there are major changes to the economy, and, and it's now survived the Great Depression. Um, does the tone at the plaza ever change? Does, do things become less, lux less luxurious, let's say? Yeah, definitely. All of a sudden, you know, you have all the, you know, the war effort. So you've got people coming to and from the war front, uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of them staying at the plaza. Um, there was actually uh, a dearth of rooms of pl places for the soldiers to stay while they were waiting for ships to take them to the war front. So the plaza, along with a lot of hotels, actually opened up uh, their rooms to the soldiers. Um, I even heard one anecdote where they took the ballroom at the plaza and they put up hundreds of cots in there so the soldiers could stay, have places to stay, and they limited the amount of time that regular hotel guests could stay to only a few nights. Um, so there were a lot of things like that. Um, there was also, uh, you know, the plaza kind of became, you think of, you know, um, a lot of nightclubs in the, in the 40s and the 30s. Uh, they had a really famous nightclub called the Persian Room, uh, where they had a lot of um, singers and the, the soldiers would come and stay. Um, you know, and, and then also you saw more women going into the workforce at the time because a lot of men were off fighting the war. So you had women in the workforce and that also happened at the plaza where you had uh, a woman manager all of a sudden where you had women doing jobs like being the bellhop at the plaza, uh, things like that that would have never normally been the case. So, and so, so many things, um, uh, the plaza is this sort of vehicle for so many social changes and you would never yeah. think of it. I never, I, I, I certainly wouldn't have thought of that, but it's, it's no doubt true. Um, uh, how does the plaza then transition out of this difficult period in American history? Yeah, then, you know, sort of the 50s come after the war. Um, and that's a very different kind of, a, um, you know, the 30s, obviously, we, we didn't mention, but, you know, the depression was very tough going for the plaza. Um, most pl people wanted to go to like speakeasies where they could drink alcohol, like the 21 Club or something. And a place like the plaza where you couldn't have alcohol was not exactly popular. So that was really tough. Then you had the war effort. So as you said, it was the 30s and 40s were not easy for the plaza. But then the 50s came and um, a very important guest uh, wrote a book that became a very big... Uh, I was going to ask know, you about her, yeah. but go ahead. So yeah. that, that's really, uh, that, that kind of, um, you know, defined the 50s, I would say, in the plaza. And, and so the name is, is Eloise. 
Yes. Um, uh, so let's talk about who Eloise is and who is she and, and whose mind she came out of. Yes. So um, Kay Thompson was this like amazing character. She was a, she was, she had wanted to be like a film actress, but she wasn't very beautiful. And she, she, she never really made it in Hollywood, um, but she was an amazing singer. So she started this cabaret act and she performed with like the Williams brothers, which was like a really big deal at the time. And she was this cabaret singer and she would perform at the plaza a lot um, at the Persian room and um, sort of as part of her act she kind of had this this little child this little girl um, character that she would do um, that she called Eloise it was kind of her you know uh, her alter ego and it was kind of this bratty six-year-old and um, you know a friend basically convinced her that it really should be a book and she introduced her to this young artist um, his name was Hillary Knight uh, in the city and the two of them basically got to to business and they crafted what we know as the Eloise books. Um, and it was basically, you know, this, this six-year-old girl who lives at the plaza and who misbehaves <laughs> and causes all kinds of chaos at the, at the snooty hotel. And uh, it was a huge, huge success. And so. who would have ever thought that that would have been the precursor to a movie that we'll talk about later. In a <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, the 50s and 60s, there's also this incredible parade of guests who are staying there, uh, yeah. Capote, Sinatra, the Beatles, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. why do they all stay there? And what does the plaza start to symbolize about celebrity culture? Yeah. And um, what is the mood as these, these incredible stars come in? Yeah, so exactly. Like it sort of becomes this, um, you know, the, the 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 place to be. When Truman Capote wrote this this, you know, in cold blood, this huge bestseller, and he wanted to celebrate and essentially throw himself a party, he was like, the only place I would ever throw myself a party was the plaza in the plaza ballroom. That was considered the ultimate, you know, in glamour and um, you know, uh, beauty. And so, yeah, he threw himself the black and white ball where people like Sinatra, as you say, and I mean, any guest you can, I mean, any star you can essentially think of basically came to this party. Um, it was this huge, you know, it was the most coveted guest list in the history of parties. Um, and it was, it was this massive party. And then um, that really helped put the plaza on the map. And of course, when the, the Beatles um, decided that they were going to come to America for their first U.S. tour. Now that's um, a big they, day. That's a they, big day when you're hosting. Yes. Out they also stayed at the plaza and you know i say in my book i found out that 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 whole thing um you know, uh, almost never happened. Um, you know, the, the, they didn't realize when they booked their reservation at the plaza, um, the Beatles weren't yet famous in America. They were kind of a big deal in, um, in, in England, but they hadn't had like a, a billboard top 10 hit yet here. And so the plaza reservationist just basically thought it was like four businessmen from England coming. And it wasn't until like about two weeks before the Beatles arrived that someone told the manager like, Hey, do you realize that the Beatles, Beatles are coming. This is going to be insane. So he actually went to um, cancel the reservation because he felt like, you know, that whole, their vibe did not exactly match the kind of rarefied atmosphere of the hotel. And, um, but he had this like 12 year old daughter who completely freaked out and lost her mind that her dad was going to cancel on the Beatles. So essentially that's why the Beatles ended up <laughs> staying <laughs> Don't you cancel bottom. that reservation. Exactly. Um, he was a good dad. Yeah. Were there a lot of people at the hotel? <laughs> at the hotel yeah. that day waiting to see them come in. Oh my, it was insane. I mean, you know, 
for like days before there were people trying to sneak in and camp out in the plaza stairwell, you know, and throughout the, the Beatles stay, you know, the girls would, would hide in boxes and, you know, have their friends say, bring them up to the concierge and say, Hey, we have a delivery for the Beatles, you know? And of course the doormen were, had been, you know, taught not to believe any of that. So they would, you know, say sorry and out would pop two crumpled girls, you know, <laughs> hoping to get up to the, Beatles hotel room. Um, so it was, you know, and it was mayhem in front of the hotel, just thousands of fans parked there. So, And they weren't overly impressed, were they? The Beatles, uh, I, or I don't know if impressed, but they weren't taken by it. No, they were actually like super polite, very well behaved. Supposedly they asked for lots of tea to be delivered to their rooms, but uh, they they did not create any, you know, didn't cause a fuss. Um, it was really the fans who were the, the chaotic things, not not the Beatles themselves. So. Interesting. Um, uh, uh, the 70s then bring economic ruin again. The plaza then has to endure a very difficult time period. New York yeah. goes through an awful time where, you know, it... it headlines all over the, the country about how badly New York was doing. Um, there's the famous New Daily News headline, Ford to City Drop Dead. Um, yeah. What is happening at the plaza? And you write about a very big pile of garbage that piles up there. <laughs> uh, talk about yeah. that. I mean, you know, it's, it's you know, the, the plaza endured the, the, the Great Depression, and this was probably the next time that it was really kind of in the doldrums. I mean, uh, the city, as you said, was like on the brink of bankruptcy. Uh, there were like all these sanitation strikes, so people just, they, the garbage men weren't working. So yeah, there were huge piles of garbage. I found these pictures from Newsweek. They were like seven uh, feet high in the air, like lined up along 58th Street, just along the plaza, because there was no place for all this garbage to go um you know the, the, there was a citywide blackout um and the plaza obviously you know was part of that suffered from that um it was it was you know there were a lot of um crime so there was a lot of prostitution happening uh, at the oak bar uh restaurant at the plaza um there were tons of prostitutes a lot of petty theft uh at the hotel you know things were tough yeah for sure yeah. and 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 does the plaza make headlines because of it um or is this just does it blend in with the rest of the misery in new york no for sure i mean there was like definitely some famous you know there was a there was a crazy uh, jewel heist there where all these um, uh, armed gunmen uh, came in at about four in the morning and held everyone hostage who was working at the hotel and took all this jewelry from all the safe deposit box of the hotel. There was a, there was a famous, there was a German uh, ambassador who was staying at the hotel who supposedly was standing outside uh, smoking a cigarette when he was thoroughly harassed by these prostitutes and, uh, and was arrested for or engaging in with the prostitutes, so I don't know. Yeah. But there was all sorts of things like that. I mean, there was a lot of, you know, th those were the kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, headlines. And I would also say that the hotel itself really struggled. Um, you know, we talked about Kay Thompson, who wrote the Eloise books. So she actually, the, the hotel had been, was so excited by all this free marketing from her books that they let her live at the hotel, basically just for free for decades. Um, and in the 70s, the hotel was just in so much financial trouble that they actually evicted her unless if they said you either have to pay or we're evicting you and they they ended up evicting her and they gave her only 24 hours to leave her room so yeah. uh so th so during this whole thing um there's a certain someone keeping an eye on this hotel um hmm. 
uh, he's got an eye on it. He sees, <laughs> he has a good view of it. Um, and the eighties hit and he's trying to make a name for himself. And this guy who, um, gets even more famous as the year goes on and then really, really famous and really, really powerful says, yeah. I've got to have this hotel. Why yeah. does Donald Trump want this hotel so badly? Yes, that is right. He, he, you know, the plaza is the most iconic, most beautiful, you know, some would say building in the city. Um, and he always loved the hotel. His, uh, you know, Trump Tower is, is just around the corner from the plaza and his office has this kind of, you know, his windows look right onto the building. He has a bird's eye view of the, of the hotel and, and so did his apartment uh, in, the, in, the, in Trump Tower. And he always kind of pined after it, seeing it as the ultimate acquisition. Um, he called it, you know, the Mona Lisa of buildings and a masterpiece. So he, so when the go-go 80s hit, you know, and Donald Trump is kind of at the height of his, uh, his real estate power, um, he, he basically basically borrowed a huge amount of sum from all the banks and he he paid what was about half a million dollars per hotel room for for the building and so. explain a little bit how the deal goes down where does he get that money from yeah so i mean as he was doing in the 80s he didn't really put any money of his own in the deal it was all borrowed uh he you know the banks couldn't wait to lend to donald trump because it seemed like at the time everything he was touching was was you know turning to a gilded uh gilded brass <laughs> or gold mm -hmm. um so um they happily lent him all this money and so he 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 um, you know, he borrowed to buy the plaza and then he would, he used the plaza, um, to pot to, as a, as a, a, an asset to borrow even more to build a bunch of casinos in Atlantic city. So the plaza had an incredible amount of debt on it, uh, when he owned it. And, and, and we are going to get to eventually how it all falls apart, but yeah. now that we're into Donald Trump's ownership, yeah. I do have to ask about home alone too. And I know I've brought this up a couple of times already. <laughs> Uh, maybe that just speaks to the to, to the time period that I grew up in. But, <laughs> exactly. Uh, we, we're familiar with this movie, and or at least some of us are. And Kevin McAllister, Macaulay Culkin, comes walking into the plaza, and he's looking for how to get to the front door, or I guess to the to the reservation table. And he says, "Stop somebody he doesn't recognize," and goes, "Which way?" And Donald Trump turns around um, <laughs> and points. But my maybe my favorite. Maybe my favorite anecdote in the history of books, um, and that's saying something because I've read hundreds wow. of them, uh, the number used for reservations that Kevin gives in the movie, or I guess Kevin's calling and he hears the message, 800-759-3000. That is the real number of the plaza. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that was that was Donald's marketing genius. He was so it like was his idea to put that. Yes, in the absolutely. Use it. Use the use the plaza's real phone number. People will call for. for. The only problem was when uh, when the movie went to DVD or or VHS, I guess as was the case. Um, a lot of people kept pausing it and rewinding, so they re recorded the number, and all of a sudden it was like the 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 um, the operators were inundated with just an insane. <laughs> number of crank calls asking to speak with Kevin. So <laughs> I'm sorry. There's just, there's just no better anecdote that I've ever read in a movie. <laughs> uh, do, where, do you remember where you found that anecdote? Was it in a where newspaper at the time? Or, uh, it's up, I, you don't have 
have it off the top of your head. You don't have I it. I don't. Yeah. All right. I, I'd right. probably have to look at my notes. That's fine. I can we, get we, can it tweet, <laughs> no, we can tweet that out at some point. Um, okay. So the other thing that I learned from the book was that um, while some of it was clearly shot there, most of it wasn't. And there's yeah. no pool at the, the hotel. No. And people you would were think so, there was from home. Alone. Yes, the people were so disappointed. I think I don't know if this made this in the book, but someone told me that uh, that they w- they were working at the plaza at the time in guest relations, and they were in the elevator, and a family got in with uh, goggles and their bathing yes, suits. That is in the book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they were trying. They wanted to go to the plaza pool, and she was like, "I'm so sorry. There's not, there's not really a pool here." Oh man, that, I, yeah. you know, if that whole story and anecdote does not encapsulate everything about Donald Trump. Uh, I don't know what does. Um, so then what happens? Okay. So the, so So, this movie hits and what happens under, under the 45th president's, uh, leadership? Yeah. So he basically, the first thing he does is he puts his wife who they're having marital issues, but he puts Ivana in charge of the plaza. He makes her the president. And this is, you know, she is the first and still only woman to be the president of the plaza. And um, she took the job very seriously. She was no nonsense. She would, um, she would stand in the mornings in her, with binoculars, looking out her window of her, of her apartment at, at Trump Tower looking out over at the plaza and if there was any garbage or newspapers or trash that was in front of the entrance she would call down to the doorman and make them clean it up I mean she was tough um and the plaza did really well under her actually you know she she really she made it quite glamorous she did all these um fashion shows there you know she was really into fashion so she she hosted all these fashion shows at the plaza a lot of celebrities uh got married there like um uh uh murphy um oh eddie murphy um, yes, Eddie Murphy, yeah, thank you, yeah, yeah. had that like a, a really book, expensive, yeah. massive wedding there. You know, it became cool. And in the 70s, the plaza was definitely not cool. And, and Ivana made the plaza cool. You know, D- Donald and Ivana, they, they, were, they had their shtick, but they, you know, they, they brought a lot of celebrity to the property. Um, so it actually was, it was actually doing quite well um under her so and but. so uh and so then it 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 goes basically there's too much money that they owe on it and they can't pay it and so then, basically yeah. right so she so it's 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 so ivana does this great job she's managing it i should also say while she's managing it they get a divorce which is extremely messy and hugely public so she would be you know at the uh oak room for instance sitting at one of the tables you know just crying her eyes out and it became really awkward for all the people working at the plaza because they essentially had two bosses they had Ivana you know who was the president and then Donald who was the owner and they you know hated each other and were going through this really terrible divorce and Marla you know his mistress was basically housed in an apartment just about a block away so she was in the mix too so it was really confusing for all the employees <laughs> uh, yeah not not a fun time, but but eventually what happened was uh, the plaza, even though it was doing very well and it was profitable, Donald had put an incredible amount of debt on the property and there was just no way that it could, um, it could pay down uh, its debt service. So about three years after he bought it, uh, Donald became the only person ever in the history of the plaza to, uh, to bankrupt the hotel. So. And where is it now? Uh, not, well, <laughs> we know where well. the building is now, <laughs> but, but, but what is the status of, of the hotel now? Uh, just give us so, a brief synopsis of what happens after 
Donald yeah. Trump. Yeah. So basically, it, yeah. it it goes bankrupt, and the creditors sell it to uh, some foreign owners, and it stays in foreign ownership, and it still is owned by you know non-Americans now. Uh, the country of Qatar uh, are the current owners of the hotel. Um, and uh, yeah, the hotel is is currently basically boarded up and closed. So I would say we're we're back to a, a Great Depression, nineteen seventies, and now I would say is basically the situation. So hmm. uh, one of the great things about hotels, uh, now that we've gotten this whole history here, one of the great things about hotels is that something really good could be going on in one room, and really you know people doing the right thing, and people there for a business trip or whatever else. Uh, uh, you know, a celebration in town to see friends and family. And in the room next door, something horrible and gross can be going on uh, and mm -hmm. something against the law could be going on. So just <laughs> give us a brief synopsis, uh, if you can, a brief history of the partying that's gone there and the tawdry things that have happened there and the dark side of the hotel business. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that is, you You can't, you're, you're absolutely right. It's sort of the yin and yang. I mean, you know, think of the great Gatsby and the famous scene where, you know, they're drinking alcohol and, and, you know, partying in one of the plaza suites. So certainly like during the prohibition era, there was all kinds of parties up in the rooms, even though they weren't supposed to be serving alcohol and all kinds of things went, went down with that. Um, you know, and then through the ages, it kept going. Um, as I mentioned there was a lot of prostitution there was actually so much prostitution at the hotel that um it used to be on the top floors were sort of these um there were actually businesses up there and, and offices and they had um they had um you know like chairs and couches out in the hallways and the prostitutes knew about it so they would go up there and kind of take a rest or a break or change their clothes and use the bathroom up there during their kind of working day so they had to remove all the chairs from the hallways and stuff so the prostitutes wouldn't wouldn't gather there so you know all that kind of stuff was going on um, you know Donald Trump himself was famous for having a lot of there were a lot of parties going on while he was the owner and even though he was definitely like a teetotaler himself there was uh, a lot of girls a lot of illicit uh, drugs supposedly and all kinds of things happening uh, you know where you know he would occasionally visit um, let's see I mean there was you know Charlie Sheen, do we, do we remember that? That was not that long ago. Um, he he holds himself up at the plaza when he was talking about tiger blood. Um, uh, our The New York governor, Elliot Spitzer, uh, had a, a lot of run-ins with uh, call girls um, <laughs> at the yeah. plaza. So all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah, and There's it's just one of these places, I guess, that just draws the, the, the idea of the party, but it's still a hotel, um, which is which is really interesting. Um, so yeah. you mentioned that it's, it's condos mostly now. Um, what's the vision for the hotel? Where does it yeah. stand now? What's the vision? So in like 2005, basically the city was having this huge condo boom and everyone was building condos and the plaza, um, the, it, the owners decided they wanted to try to do the same thing. And the city, you know, recognized that, hey, this is a, you know, a big institution, a famous building for us. It was also like the biggest employer of, uh, biggest hotel employer in the city. So we didn't want to lose all these hotel jobs. So there was like another big union, hotel union thing. And there was like a lot of, up, uh, uh, actually Michael 
Michael Bloomberg was the mayor at the time, and there was a lot of um, negotiations. And essentially what the deal was is they would keep a boutique hotel there. It's about 300 rooms. Um, and the majority of the rooms were made into these condos. Um, all the rooms facing Central Park and stuff are owned by very wealthy people. For instance, like the most expensive apartment is actually a $60 million one bedroom, which basically a houses- one bedroom for 60 yes. million? Come on, yeah. that's a ripoff. Yes. If it was two bedrooms, <laughs> know, right? maybe. Yeah. Two maybe. No, and it doesn't, no one even lives in it. It's basically like <laughs> it houses the art collection for a very <laughs> famous developer. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's it's totally crazy. And it has its own entrance now for the for the condos and then a separate entrance for the hotel. There is um there is like a very popular food court down in the basement uh, where people can go and you can have really, you know, you can have everything from cupcakes to sushi to, I don't know, frozen yogurt and there's an Eloise store. So that's kind of there. And there is one restaurant open, the Palm Court, but a lot of the big famous rooms like the Edwardian room, the Oak room, those are all closed still, um, unfortunately, and are just sort of not being used right now. So it's kind of, it's kind of a weird setup. And I looked, I looked it up. Uh, it's like about a thousand bucks to stay there for a night. Uh, do you think it'll ever be fully a hotel again? You know, no, uh, sadly it can't be because people own those condos. Yeah. So um, yeah. you'd have to buy them out. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, you know, um, but you know, I, I do hope that um, it's expensive to run a hotel and especially right now it's not, the financials don't make a whole lot of sense. Um, I got a room there for 700, I should say, which That's I good. felt like That's was a bargain. Right. Yeah. I figured like I would stay there one night after I finished uh, writing the book. So I did. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it is what it is. It has this amazing history. It's like you read the book and you know so much and you can feel all the characters kind of in the building. It's almost like a patina in the walls, you know, but um, it's it's a lot like New York. I mean, Manhattan has been overtaken by a lot of foreign, uh, you know, investors, a lot of people who own properties here, apartments here that don't live there. It's the same thing at the plaza, um, you know, as it always is throughout history. It's really kind of illustrative of what's going going on in New York and a lot of times what's going on uh, in America in terms of wealth and money and class. So, I mean, every time I've passed it, which has been 50,000 times, um, <laughs> uh, I've wondered to myself, what's it like to stay there? And I never have. So what's it like to stay there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's great, you know? I mean, it's beautiful. Look, a lot of the gold that Donald Trump put in in the 80s is still there. When I stayed there, I had, you know, a swan uh, faucet in my um, on the bathtub, uh, you know, and the room is elegant, and there's a, a butler who comes and brings you uh, your breakfast or whatever. So it's, it's definitely beautiful, but it, it's not, you know, you can't get views facing the park, so you, view, you're, you look onto 58th Street, so mm. that's not quite as great. Um, but it's, you know, it's still the plaza. It's still special. It's still New York. You know, I would, I would definitely suggest that since now you're down, down in Tampa, when you come back and the plaza opens, hopefully after, you know, the coronavirus thing, you know, ends hopefully soon, you should definitely stay there. So. All right. All right. Maybe my <laughs> wife and I, maybe my wife and I will, exactly. will, will splurge for the, for the evening. Um, yeah. uh, yeah. I, I should also say you got married there. Uh, what's I it like did. to get married at the plaza? And is yeah. that why you I wrote mean, the you book? Know, I, yeah. Right. So I, I mean, you didn't ask me why I wrote it, but I'll, <laughs> I'll say like, 
Um, you know, I, I did grow up in the city. I moved to New York when I was 15 and I went to high school, not so far from Central Park. So we used to hang out there after school a lot. And I always like saw the plaza and my grandmother lived in Pennsylvania, but she would always come and visit. And we would, uh, as you mentioned, I think, um, earlier, you know, we would go to FAO Schwartz, look at all the amazing, um, the amazing stuffed animals that were there and occasionally have tea at the bomb court. So it was always had these very special memories and, then in 2009, when I got engaged, I, I, you know, I guess I, I always hoped to, to get married there. It just was such a special place. So I was very lucky and I, I was married in the terrace room, which was awesome. And, um, you know, I also covered it as a reporter when it was made into condos. I worked for a daily paper in the city and, you know, I was, I was one of the people who spent, you know, days and days there writing about, you know, what was going on with the union and the conversion hmm. into condominiums. So, it just it just feels like it's you know it's a part of new york it's a part of the new york story so julie Saito, uh author of the plaza the secret life of america's most famous hotel uh thank you so much for joining us this was a lot of fun thank you so much evan well certainly check out that book and also her twitter account which is at julie Saitau. And thank you for listening to Axel Bank Reports History and Today, conversations with America's top nonfiction authors and why their books matter right now. Be sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Axel Bank History. We update those with clips from the show, guest announcements, and book recommendations. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks.